Well, go ahead and look at the, uh, the handout. And because the reason I'm giving you the handout, some of you know the general story, because I want you to see the dates. And to, if you get the dates, the story will make more sense. And the dates are hard to follow if you just hear them. But if you see them on paper and you can look at them, then I think that uh, we'll connect in a greater way. Father, we just thank you that your eye is on us. We sense your eye on us as a people. Lord, in our weakness, in our humanity, we stand before you and we feel your favor and your activity, your zeal for your son's glory. And you want to use us and others to glorify your son. And we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. Touch us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I'm doing tonight is wanting to prepare our spiritual family for these two special weekends in July. And what's going to happen at those weekends, I don't know. Because the Lord hasn't made clear, but he's given hints. And to me, it would be negligent to go into these weekends with our spiritual family not grasping at least the story that he's made known to us. And the story that he's made known to us, parts of it I've been telling for telling for 30 plus 35 years. So there, it's very real to me, but that's not enough that it's real to me. Some of you, you are as called to this movement, many of you as I am, but you don't know the story and you think, well, he gets it. That's cool. He thinks it's, it's good. That's, I bet it is good. You know, it's good enough for me, but I want more for you than that. So what happened is that five different guys got a hold of me without any organization, without any sense of, uh, of establishing anything. And they said, hey, I'm going to come visit in Kansas City. This was happening in May, April, actually middle of April and May. First, it was Francis Chan and Andy Bird. They called up and said, or emailed, and we had some Zoom calls and said, hey, we're coming to Kansas City in July just because we want to. I said, okay, for like, what are you thinking? For 14 days, just to hang out there, to be in the prayer room, we want to bring our children. We want to be touched by God. I'm thinking they don't even know there's camps. They said 14 days. I go, wow, that's a big commitment. And uh, Francis has seven children, and Andy has six. They said, we're bringing them all. I said, okay, I like it. When? July, 1 to 14. Sounds good. Then... I probably, I'd have to read, look at my notes to get this story exactly. Then a week or two later or something like that, Chris Reed calls and says, boy, I so loved my time in Kansas City. Could I come again? I really want to come again. I, I don't need to preach. I just want to be with you guys. I feel so connected to you. And many of you don't know Ken Fish. You don't know his name, but you will at the end of these two weekends. And Ken who has been in the vineyard, I mean, uh, I mean, he worked with John Wimber very closely 30 years ago, and he's been a real faithful to the stewardship that God has given the vineyard in terms of messaging and values for 30, 40 years. I mean, really faithful. Him and Ken, I mean, him and uh, Chris Reed are, are friends. They're good friends. Ken Fish is about 60, and, you know, and Chris is in his 30s, but he's kind of like really pouring in to Chris and so Ken said, hey, whenever Chris comes next, I want to come. I want to just stand with him and just bless him. 
I said, okay, cool. I don't know when he's coming next. So Chris calls and says, can I come again just to hang out? I go, sure. He goes, I go, when? Well, how about July? Okay. I said, a couple other guys are coming in July, so if, I don't know. You know, sure, there's nothing planned. And I asked him, do you know Francis? He goes, yeah, a little bit. And Andy goes, well, it's a different stream. I've, I've not, I'm not that familiar with him, but a little bit, yeah. He goes, well, you know, just maybe I can just say hi to him. I said, okay. Then Chris, that's Chris Reed. Then uh, Ken Fish, the older guy, the vineyard guy, the guy about 60, he calls us. He goes, hey, when's, when's Chris coming next? I go, July. He goes, can I come in July? I go, well, we're, we're, it's kind of like stacking up now, you know, because... You know, we're not planning anything. We're just sitting in the prayer room together. He goes, that's okay. I don't need to do anything. I go, sure. I mean, the seats are all free. <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then that was the first time I went, you know, what meaneth thou this? Then in one of the communications, a couple days or a week later, he goes, oh, I can't. I can't come the 1st of July. He goes, that's okay. I'll just come some other time. Because I'm at... at Eric Metaxas's house, we're doing ministry in New York that first week of July. I said, okay, cool. Then a couple days later, he calls up and says, I talked to Eric Metaxas. Now, tell, talk more about him. Some of you know his name well. Some of you, he's new. But he's part of the story. He goes, hey, I talked to Eric. He said he'll come in July too, and we'll shift our ministry stuff. So can we come? I went, this is an odd group of people. I mean, each... Guy is real good. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But the combination <clears throat> is strange to me. They don't know each other. But, I mean, each of them knows like one of the other ones. And I go, they're all landing at the same time with no organization. So someone said, will there be meetings? I go, no. One guy said, why not? Why don't we just have some evening meetings and just bless the Lord and prophesy and see what happens? I go, well, you're all here, and they're all paying their own way. They said, we'll pay our way. We're not, this is not a conference. We're, we're coming because we want to be there to wait on the Lord together and just see what the Lord's doing. Again, these five guys don't know each other. But the strange part, I mean, that's strange in itself. They would all pick the same time. But the strange part is they all showed up in the story around April 9th. When Chris Reed was here, all five of those names showed up, highlighted by the Lord, in the weekend of April 9th. Not, I don't even know how much they knew all that, but I was aware of that. So I said, the five guys that the Lord highlighted on the weekend of April 9th when Chris Reed came are the five guys that said, I want to come, pay my own way. This is not a, I don't, I'm not wanting a ministry opportunity. I want to be there to touch God. And they're all super busy guys, super busy. And real busy men and women don't just hang out for two weeks somewhere. I mean, I, I get how that works. So I said, Lord, I'm alerted. So there's, there's two dates in the storyline I want you to get. Two dates. There's three passages. There's four banner themes in the spirit. And there's five men. Let's go through that again. Two, three, four, five. There's two dates. Matt Candler, what are the two dates? April 9th and April 14th. That's it. Those are the two dates highlighted. What did I say? 418 is a better way to say it than April 18th. Yeah, that's way better. 
those two dates were highlighted in a very unusual way, and half of you know that story a little bit. Two dates. I want you to get April 9 and April 18th, or 418, better. Those two dates. Get those two dates in your, in your understanding. There's three passages that are being highlighted. Psalm 2, Isaiah 19, and Luke 418. 4, three passages. But the storyline, the way they dovetail together, is remarkable to me. We've talked a little bit about that over the last few weeks. Psalm 2, in one sentence, I mean, there's a hundred things happening in Psalm 2. But when I say Psalm 2, like as a summary statement, real brief, I mean the kings of the earth standing up to drive the word of God out of the culture. And God has faithful witnesses standing up saying, no. Jesus is king, and we're going to speak God's word regardless of what it costs us. So Psalm 2 implies incredible courage in the face of real penalties and even the threat of death, Psalm 2 does. Because when the kings of the earth, with the power to legislate and economic penalties and throw you in prison and kill you, when they have that power and you say no in the name of Jesus, you are in serious threat. So Psalm 2, to me, is the first part although Psalm 2 is much bigger than that, it means courage. It means unusual courage. It means courage that isn't seen very often in history. Psalm 2. Bonhoeffer and Luther both exhibited that courage in an unusual, dramatic way. Because those are two men in, that, that were connecting to Psalm 2 and Isaiah 19. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I say Isaiah 19, it's got 25 verses. Those of you that aren't familiar, the 24, what on earth are you talking about, Isaiah 19? I mostly mean, when I say it kind of real fast, Isaiah 19, I mostly mean verse 24. In verse 24, at a quick read, you won't get it. But verse 24 says there's going to be profound unity among Arab, Egyptian, and Jewish believers in the Middle East related to the second coming of Jesus, the John 17 reality, but that reality is going to be forged in the face of martyrdom and pressure and death and incredible conflict. Heroic love is going to be displayed in the midst of those that have been historic enemies with great hostility for 4,000 years. The Lord's going to reverse this in the front of the whole earth and Jews and Egyptians and Arabs, under Jesus' leadership, are going to display heroic love in the face of death. And John 17, though that's a global reality when the Lord returns, the epicenter of it is right there in the Middle East. That's what I mean by Isaiah 19. In one other sentence, standing up for Israel, even at the cost of our life, or for God's purpose for Israel. And that's what Bonhoeffer did. So three passages, Psalm 2, Isaiah 19, Luke 4, 18. There's four banner truths. Now that's, uh, those of you who've been around for a while, you know what I mean by that. The Lord spoke, and we're going to get to the story in a minute. He said that they was, there's going to be a cross-pollinization between compassion and worship. They were two banner truths. Bob Jones saw, he says, in the spirit, they were like a banner over the vineyard, compassion and worship. He said, and there's, there's a banner over the 
work in Kansas City that Bob Jones had been prophesying about said prophetic intercession. And these four banner truths, these banner themes in the spirit are going to come together in a strategic way and it's going to have a combustive element to it. It's going to have a dynamic impact beyond what we could think. And I'll get to that in a minute. Those are the four banner themes. And again, these five guys, they're just the down payment. It's this, July isn't, this is that, this is a beginning. Last July was very dramatic as far as I'm concerned. Last July, most of you know, I've told the story. I was on the Zoom call. I don't really know the number. I was told by the people hosting it, seven, 800,000, some number like that, different devices on a Zoom call. And they asked me to unfold Isaiah 19, the heart of it, the conflict that's going to emerge in the Middle East with Arab and Egyptian believers standing for unbelieving Israel and revealing the God of Israel to Israel. And my guess, again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but for the first time in history, Hundreds of thousands of people are in the conversation of Isaiah 19. I presented that. I was asked to, and some people got really upset by what I said. Other people got really excited, and a number of people were just really confused, going, wow, that sounds intense. I don't have a clue what he's talking about. But anyway, 600, 700, 800, I don't know the number, different devices on the Zoom call. They were talking about it everywhere, and the conversation took another Turn, and that's when the Lord spoke to me. He said, the black horse will strike you when you go to the east. And most of you know that. And that's been really real to me since last July. So this July, I believe, is another layer of the story. There's another layer of the divine storyline that's being put in place. So two dates, April 9, April 18th. Three passages. Psalm 2, standing with courage. Isaiah 19, standing with courage for unbelieving Israel to reveal the God of Israel to them. Four banner themes, compassion and worship, where we're going to talk about them for just a minute, related to the vineyard and prophetic and intercession. And then these five guys as a down payment. And it's July, a year later from the Isaiah 19 you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand Zoom call where the conversation takes up and the Lord makes it clear to me, just gird yourself for the power of the Spirit as well as conflict from the realm of darkness to strike with accusation and all kinds of things. But the Lord's going to do a, a, I mean, a John 17 family unity and blessings. What's going to be the byproduct of this when the Lord returns? Okay, let's look at Roman number one. Why am I telling you this story that half of you kind of know already? Some of you know this story real well. And half of you know it pretty good, but not good enough to say it. If I quizzed you, you'd go, hmm. And I want you to know it a little bit better. And that's why I'm taking the time to kind of belabor this, because in a minute, it's going to be next Thursday night. And it's going to, we're going to, it's going to be unfolding. And I want you going, yeah, yeah. I'm at least, I know enough to be alerted to grasp some of the implications of this. And I don't think we will understand the implications fully for a long time. Paragraph A, I want us to be intentional about recognizing our divine assignment. We have a divine assignment, several elements to it. And we're, and we're intentional about that, but I want us to lean into it a little bit more in this hour. 
But also we have sovereign alignments, connectedness to other ministries. And this goes far beyond these five men. This is just a down payment. But these five men, I believe, are important. I believe 10 years from now, we'll look back and say, who would have thought? Who would have understood? But it's far more than these five. This is just the way the Lord laid it out. And I didn't talk about it in, in April and May and June because I didn't want to create an excitement where we're having a conference of cool people coming and we just pack the place out like one thing conference, you know, 2.0 trying to fit in this building. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to tell anybody. I told some uh, our ELT about it. I said, don't say nothing. I want people to come whom the Lord tells them to come without them knowing there's something happening. So I threw that as a little fleece before the Lord. I said, I'm going to say nothing. I mean, I got a lot of friends out there. And I just said, nope, I'm not going to say nothing. When they say I'm coming with no knowledge of who else is coming, then I'm, I'm going, okay, good. See you in July. I'll tell you in July when you get here what's going on. Because the truth is I don't really know. And the truth is, I don't want hype and I got to be there, I got to be there, I got to be there. I go, maybe yes, maybe no. But th if this is real, and I believe it is, these two Julys in a row, and the July two years earlier was when the Chinese David Damien called and said, I'm bringing a thousand Chinese. So July's kind of been highlighted over the last number of years. And I don't really know much what that means or if it means anything. I just know that you think you got the summer off, and that's when the Lord's making these installments. <laughs> to uh, stir things up. Well, uh, Paul told Timothy, according to the prophecies, according to the storyline God has given you. Now, we all have the biblical prophecies. Timothy had specific assignments in the prophecies that were part of his storyline. So I'm going to change it, the language. According to the divine storyline that God has made clear to you, I want you to wage war. Don't just wage war in the general sense, which is good, to just say no to sin and darkness and unbelief and demonic attack. Wage war, lean into the divine storyline that God has given you as a community. You, Timothy, and the people you're connected to. So that's what we're doing here. We're leaning into the storyline. We're waging war according to the prophetic hints that he's given us. Then in Jude verse 3, it's a similar deal. But he points out you got to contend earnestly, meaning even when it's God's will, it doesn't just come automatic because it's God's will. There is a rising up. There's a leaning into. There's a laying hold of. It's called contending earnestly. And in some ways, I just rather say, Lord, do what you do. And the Lord says, I am. A lot of it, I have taken the initiative. But there's elements where I want you to lean into it earnestly. Don't. Pretend like you know where it's all going. Don't go there, but lean into this earnestly. Paragraph B, we know this. We're entering into a new season in the Lord, and a season could be three, four, five, ten years. So I don't mean a weekend or a summer. We're entering a new season in the Lord. We want to be intentional about the truths and the promises associated with Luke 4.18. Because the Lord has highlighted Luke 4.18. And you know the passage. But it's an anointing to heal broken bodies, broken hearts, broken relationships. And I love this. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. There's so many brokenhearted people who are sincere with the Lord. But they're brokenhearted. 
And there's brokenhearted people who don't know the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm about the business of healing brokenhearted people. They feel abandoned. They feel rejected. They feel left out. They have despairing. They have no hope. They see no future. They're brokenhearted, and I want to touch them. But there's broken bodies, too, and broken relationships. Roman numeral two. Now to really understand, from my point of view at least, the intensity that God has for this story, I want to go back and remind you, against 10 or 20% of you, you, could, you know the story, you could finish telling it if I stopped right now. You know it that well. I've been telling this story for 30 years. It's the connection between John Wimber and the Vineyard Ministries. This is not a small thing. I came to know John Wimber well because I traveled with him three years, and I loved him deeply. And even when I was no longer a part of the vineyard, I still loved John Wimber. This is not about me liking John Wimber. This was the Lord speaking in January 1984. You know how long ago that was? 37, 38 years ago. I mean, this is, I've only known Bob Jones nine months. We're at the very beginning of the beginning of the prophetic journey. And one of the first things God said in the last 38 years was the connection to the vineyard. It's like in January 84, I go, who's the vineyard? Well, we didn't know the name vineyard. But it was so clear. Again, I've only known Bob nine months. We've had a couple of dramatic things happen in 1983. We're starting 84. 84 is a pretty dramatic year. 83 and 84, very dramatic. This is one of the big events that gets passed by because it takes a little bit of time to grasp the story. It is stunning, the implications of this story. I don't mean just stunning like, wow, wasn't that something? Because the story was about, the story was about, catch this, Bob Jones from the Lord, Mike, your children and your grandchildren. The story is about them. There, that means it's all about our young ones. This is not just a story that's 30 years old. It was set in motion 30 years ago so that it would, the gestation and the development for 30 years, there would be something in 2021 to work with. That was the point of giving it 30 years ago. So Bob Jones comes to me. He says, I've heard the audible voice of the Lord. Now he's given me about 10 of those kind of directives in the 10 years I worked closely with him. About 10 of those audible voice directives. This was one of the major ones. He goes, there's a movement 35 miles southeast of L.A. I go, who? He goes, I don't know. I just heard it audibly. I said, okay. No, no, no one in my world's ever heard of the vineyard. I'm pretty sure this is right. I could miss it, by, but I think I'm right. They've never had a conference yet. They haven't had their first conference. So they were unknown to our world here in, the, in Kansas City. He said, There's a, they have a banner in the spirit over them called Compassion and Worship. I go, what's that? He goes, they will have a multiplied grace for those two subjects. Every ministry, I'm assuming, has two or three assignments in the context. I mean, there's 25, that's a made-up number, 25 major New Testament values that we got to say yes to. There's not just four. There's like 25, like the authority of the Scripture, the centrality of Jesus, soul winning. I mean, there's lots of them. Godly relationships, there's so many godly values in the New Testament. And I'm just saying 25. we got to say yes to all of them. But my, theory, my thought, my uh, assumption is 
Every ministry, or certainly most ministries, have a specific assignment in two or three of those 25. they got to do all 25 to some degree, but they have a specific assignment in, in some of them. And the Lord gives a multiplied grace for that assignment. He says they have a banner in the Spirit over them called Compassion and Worship. I go, what's that? He goes, I don't really know. I really don't know, to be honest, what that means. He goes, in this young adult movement, remember, it's January 84. We're only a year old as a little young adult church over in Oldland Park. He goes, there's a banner in the Spirit over this movement called Prophetic and Intercession. I go, really? We didn't have a prophetic history yet. I didn't know a bunch of prophetic people and a prophetic controversy. I didn't know. I go, prophetic? Really? And I said, an intercession? Bob, have you been to our prayer meetings? They're really hard to go to. They're a rock pile prayer, and they're hard. I mean, there's a grace on us for prayer? He goes, yeah. I go, boy, I don't see it. I don't see the prophetic either. 38 years later, I could look back and go, oh, yeah, there was some multiplied grace in those two areas. But the good news is the multiplication is going to be far more intense in the days to come. He goes, here's the message. The Lord wants you, I mean, not you, your team here, and them to cross-pollinate. Cross-pollinate. You know, a bee, you know, the flower, I go, okay. Well, I don't understand. He goes, I don't either, but we will. Just remember, this is going to happen. But here's the point. Bob Jones always called our children and grandchildren, he goes, the bank accounts, the, the ones you're investing in now, and they will bring pay great dividends in the future. He always called them the bank accounts. He goes, this is for the, our bank accounts. If this Cross-pollinization takes place, and it's, it works. I'm making up the, I'm saying these numbers now. He didn't say this. 30 years later, you're going to have at least enough of it in place to impart it to the next generation and to the next generation. You're going to have enough of it through working the muscle for 30 years to impart it. That was the message. He didn't say 30 years. I'm just adding that in retrospect looking back. So, Okay. I love it. We're going to cross-pollinate with a group. I can't make any sense of it. Then, June 1984, a friend calls me up and he says, hey, I know you really love John G. Lake and healing. There's this guy named John Wimber in the vineyard in Southern California, Anaheim. Real powerful healing anointing. I'll pay your way if you'll go. I thought, okay, okay. I mean, I got all the healing books, and I read all these guys, and sure, I'll do. So I go to John Wimber. To my knowledge, even 30 years later, I think it's their very first conference. I ha- I'm not aware they had one before that. There's several thousand people jammed in the building, mostly leaders, pastors, mostly from mainline churches. So I'm at the back of the auditorium. The place is jam-packed, and he gets up, and I'm like, I don't know what this place is. He says something like this. Two of the main things God has for us, and he's spoken it powerfully, is compassion and worship. I went to the usher. I said, are we about 35 miles southeast of L.A.? He goes, yeah, something like that. That's close enough. Huh. I am now listening to John Wimber. And and I was blown away. Here's what I was blown away by, because he talked about compassion and worship. Here's why it matters. 
that we get this. John Wimber went to be with the Lord in 1997, many years ago. The Lord spoke to him in such a dramatic way, and he had one of the most powerful ministries in terms of a powerful, I want to say this, influential is what I mean by powerful. Well, powerful, too. In the Western world in the 80s and early 90s. I don't know of any other man at that time, and maybe there was somebody, and I didn't know who it was, who could have six, seven, eight thousand pastors come to his four-day conference and pay often one or two hundred dollars and sit for four days pastors to hear him. He had six or seven thousand in Frankfurt, six or seven thousand in Australia, six or seven thousand in South Africa, or whatever the numbers, all over the Western world, thousands of pastors. And I'm going. And, the, and his message was, the Lord has spoken to me about compassion and worship and some other things too in the kingdom of God. And when he meant compassion, which was new to me, he said, we're gonna, the Lord has stirred us about healing the sick by compassion. Because in 1984, at that time, I'd been reading the healing books for 10 years now, you know, from the early 70s. And the only books I ever saw was healing by faith. And that's incredibly biblical, by the way. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Healing by faith. All the conferences on healing and all the books were healing by faith. And he said this. He goes, oh, I believe in healing by faith. But there's going to be an anointing of the Spirit in the days to come for healing by compassion. I go, I like that. You know, I've heard a guy's mention it for like a paragraph or two in a book. But no one ever like an entire movement on compassion. Praying for the sick based on compassion? Really? Wow, that's, I like that. And he said, and compassion for the poor. And we'll unpack that later. Not that we, got to, we have to do everything they did, but he said these were divine assignments at a very serious level. So I'm really paying attention. And as I traveled with him later for three years, I really unpacked these. And I go, oh, I get it. A lot more than I did back in 84 when I first went to that conference. But more startling than the compassion healing and compassion for the poor. That made sense, compassion for the poor was the worship. When Wimber said worship, he said, I mean intimacy with God worship. He goes, I'm talking about the Lord has encountered us and said, he goes, I love all the, the worship streams. You know, there's 50 different worship streams in the earth. Again, made up now many different worship streams that are of the Lord. He said, we have a divine assignment to sing tender songs of love and mercy and kindness, not sing about God, but sing to God to open our hearts and let him tenderize us with the love of God and to love him with all of our heart. I thought, yeah. I went to the meetings. Now, those of you that are my age, where you were in worship services in 84, most of the charismatic worship services were shouting at the devil. I mean, we were so excited because the charismatic movement was new, you know, 10 or 15 years old. They were so excited they had authority to do something that almost all the songs were, ah, 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 yeah, yeah, you know, everything was like that. Because we had authority, and man, we wanted to sing it on every song because it was new. Because before that, the charismatic movement, people didn't talk about it that much. And there were 20 different ways to present that, and some were weird and some were better than others. That's not my point. My point is, every stream I looked at had a big, strong emphasis on real kind of robust, stand up, shout, dance, jump, swing, chop, do what you need to do. Let the devil know we mean business. So I went to Wimber at these meetings, and they went for an hour. I love you, I love you, I love you. I went, 
okay, when do, when do we get the boom, boom, boom thing in a minute, you know? I, I'd never been to a service that went an entire hour like that. I liked it, but it was so new. <clears throat> then when I traveled with him, he would have these conferences against five, six, seven, eight thousand pastors. They would go an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, just tender, loved the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing. <laughs> People cried. They didn't even hardly bounce their foot. They just cried. And people kneeling, and I watched that for a couple years. I go, what meaning found this? <laughs> what is this about? Now looking back, I understand that the bridal paradigm, the call to the first commandment, the song of Solomon, the beauty of God, the night and day prayer has to flow out of that reality or it can't exist. It can't sustain itself. I didn't know any of that back in 84. So I came back from Anaheim and I told our team, I think I met that movement. You know, I, I think it's them. And Bob Jones, you know, talked to the Lord and if he come back later and said, yeah, it is. It is. You've got a divine appointment with that movement in the future. But it's not just know them and isn't that cool. You have to embrace and imbibe and really lay hold of that because the, part, the point is to be able to impart it in the days to come. And you can't impart this just by enjoying it. You've got to actually drink it. You've got to drink it for years. You've got to really imbibe this. So let's look at paragraph B. And I told, that's the longest part of the story here. I've kind of given it to you so you, get, you got the feel of it. Look at paragraph B. So it's four years later. Now I see Wimber on the cover of, you know, many Christian magazines, thousands of pastors. He, to me, and again, I don't care about this point except for the, the point I'm going to make about it. He seems one of the most influential, prominent leaders in the body of Christ in the Western world. I mean, okay, cool. The weird thing is he called me a man of that stature. I'm a, a guy in Kansas City with a little church that no one's ever heard of, that nobody cares about, and he called me. Bob Jones tells me in paragraph B, in October, four years later, October 87, he goes, you know that famous guy, Wimber? He's calling you in January. I said, I seriously doubt that. I go, why would he call me? I have nothing to offer him. He goes, there is a divine cross-pollinization, and it's for your children and grandchildren. Mark my word, he will call you in January. I don't really see that happening. By that time, four years into my time with Bob, I believe the Lord really speaks to him. Not, he's not perfect, but I'm listening. I don't believe John Wimber's going to call me. I mean, again, his world was so big and my world was so little. So January 1988, I just gave you the dates because I want you to get this because it was so unusual. And the reason you care, because it's about our children and grandchildren. That's why we care about this. It's about us leaning into, this is a divine assignment. This isn't just like a cool style. I like that style, let's do that style. It's part of our assignment in the Holy Spirit to embrace this. That's the point I'm making. And what's going to happen in July, these two special weekends in July, this is going to go up a notch in terms of the, the, the connectedness in this. And that's why I want us to understand it. Not that we have to say big things in July, but we're going to be aware. So I'm at home. On a Saturday afternoon, getting ready to go to our Saturday night prayer meeting. Diana answers the telephone. She goes, yeah, he's here. Can I tell him who's calling? She goes, some guy named John Wimber. You ever heard of him? I go, right. 
Because the team I had back at Metro is like the team I had here. You know, it was Matt Candler or Slyker. Hi, this is John Wimber. You're like just completely spoofing me because they heard the word in October. So I go, hi, John. How you doing, old buddy? Because I'm going to spoof them back. You know, it's Isaac, you know, on the other end is my idea. He goes, uh, is this Mike Biggle? Yeah, he goes, this is John Wimber. I, I uh, have a church in Anaheim. And I go, oh, excuse me, sir. Uh, <coughs> Yeah, how can I help you? <laughs> like, oh my God. Because I didn't really think. John Wimber, like, what? He goes, uh, will he talk three minutes? Probably. Maybe less. He goes, hey, the Holy Spirit spoke to me about you. I go, yeah. And he goes, I've got a, an annual staff retreat. He goes, I, I got 100 people on our, our pastoral staff and our administrative staff, 100. We go for three, four days to the uh, retreat. Three days, he goes, we have three sessions a day, 9 a.m., 2 p.m., 7 p.m. We worship, we have ministry, someone preaches, and we lay hands on the, and pray. We have nine sessions. I said, okay. He goes, the Lord told me to give you all nine sessions. Sight unseen. I go, okay. Because what you're not thinking, I don't have nine sermons I can give without studying 20 hours in between them to get ready for one. I heard myself say, yes, I don't have nine sermons. I got nine sets of notes, but I, got, I need 10 or 20 hours in between each one in those days. I, he goes, uh, I go, okay. I go, when? It's Saturday. He goes, uh, it's Tuesday. I'll pick you up at the airport and we can get acquainted. I don't have a chance to memorize anything. I mean, I'm, I am so intimidated. So I fly there, picks me up at the airport. Hiya, Mr. Wimber. <laughs> no, he called me John. <laughs> okay. I mean, it was just so awkward for me. To him, it wasn't. We connect so dramatically. I've so done, not dramatically, dynamically. It's like by the end of three or four days, we are good friends. We're laughing. We're having every meal together. I'm not nervous now. I'm completely, I go, wow. I don't tell him anything about Bob Jones. And so he says, hey, the Lord has told me that he wants us to be together. I couldn't believe my ears. Like, I, you know, in my heart, I'm like, why? <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, sure, yeah, sounds good to me. Whatever you want. <laughs> so I come home. Bob Jones goes, what? What happened? Blah, blah, blah. He goes, yeah, I told you. I told you four years ago. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I go, wow. So February, March, April, May, June, go by nothing. Where am I at on my notes? Paragraph C. So four or five months go by. <clears throat> Bob Jones comes. I remember it's a Sunday morning out in the parking lot. He says, hey, has that Wimber guy called you recently? I go, no, not for four or five months. Just that one time in January, that was it. He goes, he's going to call you this week. He goes, was I right in October when I said he's calling you in January? He goes, yeah. He goes, I've heard the audible voice of the Lord. He's calling you this week. This isn't a Mike story. Some of you go, oh, cool. This is a Mike, no, this is a your kid's story. This isn't even about me. I mean, I'm, all, I'm already, some people don't like to say that. I'm on the fourth quarter of my game. I mean, I'm, we're going to score and win. I'm talking about the 10 and 20-year-olds. This is about them. This is zeal. I have information about them. This is their story. I mean, it is my story, but I'm, I'm in the second, I'm over here now. I am now getting them ready. And I'm really happy about that. I love the fourth quarter. That's when you win the game. Anyway, so 
He says, he's going to call. I heard it audibly. He said, he's going to open three large doors to you. I said, okay. And you're going to travel with him for three years. I go, okay. I don't know if I believe it. I go, okay. He goes, but uh, you have to know this. That's a warning, not a promise. I go, how could that possibly be a warning? John Wimber is one of the coolest guys and favor and presence on his life, and he loves intimacy with God. How could that possibly be a warning? He says, well, he's going to put you on his platform around the world. His platform is about a million people, and you don't know how to come and go before the Lord or before people on a platform of a million. I said, what's that mean? He goes, I'm not real sure, but uh, I don't really know. I heard that audibly from the Lord. You don't know how to come and go. And he goes, Something like, you don't know how to keep your heart alive in the spirit with the kind of big opportunities and big challenges you're going to face in that three years. Your hearts, you don't know how to keep your heart right. You don't know how to manage this. I think you'll be okay. He goes, no, you won't. Actually, you won't. Take notes. It's a seminary season in the spirit for the young adult movement that's going to come in the spirit of the tabernacle of David many years from now. Okay. So John Wimber calls me the next day. Hi, Mike. He goes, I know it's June. I saw you in January. I said we were going to be together. I'm sorry. I go, John, perfect timing. Perfect timing. He goes, boy, you're easy. I go, just perfect timing. He goes, I would like you to do three things with me. He goes, and one of them, and I'm not going to go through that whole story and, and all the lessons of that three-year period because the lessons were there. But more than the lessons, there was a lot in the lessons for another day at another time. But more important, there was an impartation of these four banner themes in the spirit together. That's the takeaway for tonight, is that reality. So he goes, hey, will you go to Scotland with me? And England in November, like in six, you know, four or five months from now. And he, offered, he said three things, and I said, yes. So I'm in Scotland with him. He goes, I want to spend two, three, two weeks or something like that, 12, 14 days. And I want to be with you. Every free time. And I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And Bob Jones says, this is really important. You better do, do this and do it with attentiveness. This is about the future. I want to say it again. This is about your children and grandchildren. So I'm in Scotland. Now we're in November. I've been with him a few times now from June to November. 14, 12, 13, 14 days, something like that. And we have every meal and every Free time, he says, tell me. He goes, I've heard there are prophets in your midst. You know, he's, he isn't like crazy charismatic. He's Bible-centered. He's talking to mainline pastors, seminary, lots of PhD, uh, 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 master's degree, theologians in his meaning. He's not going to take some fluffy little half-baked answer of, wow, the glory of God, blah, blah, blah. That is like, really? Give it to me straight. So he doesn't want a fluff answer. He wants real stuff, and it better be backed up by the Bible, although he's a very kind man. He goes, I want to hear the stories. And I'm thinking, I don't really know which stories to tell him. Oh, my goodness. And so I tell him a bunch of stories. And this 12, I mean, we talk hours and hours, probably five to seven hours a day in between all the public meetings. And then the last five or six days, no public meetings, so eight hours a day talking. So he says this, can I meet Bob Jones and Paul Kane? Can I meet them? 
I go, what's up to them? I go, sure, of course you can. He goes, okay. He goes, you've told me about signs. When they visit me, will there be a sign in the heavens? <laughs> I, go, I can't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He goes, I want to know if God will give me a sign like he's given you. I haven't even told John we're supposed to be together. I, I don't tell him that until we've traveled for a year. I never tell him that inside story because I don't want to prop it up in that way. So Paul Cain says, yeah, it's the end of November. He says, tell him I'll come when he wants me to. But I want you to catch this, not just the drama. I want you to catch the meaning. He says, tell John Wimber this. You know, I'll come in a week or two, because it's end of November, early December I'll come. On the day that I show up, there will be a local earthquake. And the day that I leave, there will be an international earthquake. But here's the word I'm bringing to him. Jeremiah 33.8. Jeremiah 33.8. And the verse Jeremiah 38, because there were a lot of negative things happening in his leadership, a lot of sin and different things that I never knew the details, but they talked about it. I just never wanted to know all that stuff. But Jeremiah 33, God said he's going to give mercy, Jeremiah 33, to the vineyard. So Wimber says, well, what day is he coming? And Paul Cain's word was pick the day. Wimber goes, I pick the day? Of course, the Lord knew what day, you know, God's real smart, so he had it all figured out. So Weber said, have him come December 3rd, and I'll meet with him. You know, give me a couple days from Scotland. I've been in, over in the U.K. for, you know, two weeks. I need a little jet lag time and connect with my family, and, and yeah, in about a week, let's do it. And then uh, I, I got stuff I have to do after December 7th, so let's end it December 7th. Give us three days to talk. So he shows up, Paul Kane. John Weber calls me at noon that Saturday. December 3rd, says, the earthquake came. And the word, Jeremiah 33.8, it came at 3.38 in the morning. It's in the newspaper. He goes, how does that happen? Anyway, this is a big story. I'm giving too much time on that. And then at the end, he left on December 7th, and there was an international earthquake in Soviet Armenia where 50,000 people died. My point is, God had a purpose in the earthquakes, and the devil had a purpose in the earthquakes, but the Lord knew that's all a secondary, that's a, the primary story, but the Lord says, I'm going to use that as a prophetic sign, and here was the message. He goes, when these four banner themes come together, they will be combustive. They will have a dynamic when they really come together, but when they come together, it will create an earthquake in the vineyard locally, and it will create an international controversy, an earthquake in the nations, and it sure did. But we were told that on the front end. So my point isn't, wow, what a story. My point is, God cared so much for these four banner themes to come together that he spoke audibly in January 84, audibly in October 87, again in June, in June 88. He sends two earthquakes. This thing is like really important to the Lord is the point. Because a lot of folks have heard the story over the years. Ah, that must have been neat. I go, I don't think you're getting the point. The point is, he is serious about these four banner themes coming together. That's the point. He wants compassion and intimacy with God worship combined with prophetic and intercession for the purpose of God. But he wants prophetic intercession to have the intimacy with God and the compassion dimension. The four of the 25 made-up number values in the New Testament... 
the word the Lord gave us, these four are having, they're combustive. When they come together, there's a dynamic impact. When nitro and glycerin get in the same bottle in the positive sense, it explodes if those four come together, but they rarely ever come together. Most of the prophetic intercessor people are not into intimacy, and most of the intimacy people and compassion aren't into prophetic intercession. They're kind of like two naturally polarized positions and types of personalities just in the nature and the natural, but they have to come together. So, where am I at? Compassion and worship. Oh, by the way, part of his worship wasn't just intimacy. And I love this with Wilbur. We talked about this many times. It's what I call in our world the platform ministry style of humility. Wilbur says, I want a ministry style of intimacy where nobody is looking at the preachers of the worship team, wondering what they're doing and how they're carrying on. They're only getting Jesus is the only one that they're thinking about when they look at the platform. Wimber was so into, I don't want any of the hamburger helper on the platform, whether preacher, ministry style, worship teams, I want it all to be, they look up there, they think about Jesus, they don't think about what you're doing and how anointed you are and how different and how great of a preacher you are or how good a ministry or if people are falling down when you pray. I don't want them to think about that. I want them to look up and only see Jesus and I love you, you love me. And so he had this real big energy for the platform ministry style being about intimacy with God. And I said, oh, I love this. This is exactly what the Lord has told us. Top of page two. Well, this story's taking longer than I thought. Got a few more minutes. We were gonna have a little Q&A, but I think I'm just gonna tell a little bit more of the story and then pray for you and because it's I just so want you to lean into what's happening and it's been a long time since I've unpacked this without rushing it super fast I'm still missing a lot of key details so Roman number three now we're coming to our current situation in November 2019 so about 18 months ago whatever two years ago Chris Reed he has a prophecy about Prince Philip in England. And he understood back in November 2019 that when this prophecy happened, it would be a timing indicator that something important was going to be happening in the kingdom. At least, for you know, the kingdom's real big. So when something important, it means in our little purview, our little world, we see it, you know, because we only see a little bit. And then the Lord gave him a riddle. And we've heard the riddle, but I'd like you to know this. It took me about a couple weeks to learn how to say this. When the prince will pass, it will be 418 at last. Okay. So he comes April, April 8th. It stays at John Chisholm's house. It's April 9th. It's on a Friday morning. Our leadership team is going to meet him. He's getting ready to get in the car with John Chisholm to drive over to meet us. He doesn't know anybody here. He met me at Rick Joyner's. And we talked a little bit with me, him, and uh, uh, Ken Fesch. We spent a lot of time and Dean, Dean Briggs together. He hears on the BBC that... Prince Philip passed. So he's telling John, when the prince will pass, it will be 418 at last. John goes, okay. He goes, no. 418 at last. So he gets in and goes, hi, Chris. This is some of our leaders. This is so and so and so. He goes, wait, just, I love all that. What does this mean to you? When the prince will pass, 418 at last? I go, well, that's a pretty big story. I'd rather have a few highs, how you doing? You know, before we get into that, and maybe we did that, and I'm forgetting, but we got into that story really quick. He goes, I have to know what this means. Paragraph B, 
I catch this. This is about your children now. Again, I'm only talking about your children and, 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 their, and their children. A hundred years ago, look at paragraph B. 1920, not 2020, 1920s. I don't know what year. The Lord visits a woman named Anna Cain, Paul Cain's mother. Very strong, prophetic, and Pentecostal lady. 1920, 21, 22, 23, something like that. And says, she has real accurate prophecies, a strong many, many years of accurate prophecies. Tells her she's going to have a son. She's got two daughters. You're going to have a son. She goes, yes, I want this son. And the Lord says, I'm going to touch this son. Now, if, if this isn't an amazing lesson, she has five miscarriages in a row after that prophetic word. She is so perplexed. How do you get a promise from God in five miscarriages in a row? But, but that, that's dramatic, and that's a story that's glorious to tell how it ends. But the point I'm making here, in the human sense, this story begins, the story we're talking about with your kids 100 years ago down in Texas to a Pentecostal prophetic woman. So now she's 45. And she's pregnant. And she's so excited. Well, she's eight months pregnant. Most, some of you know the story. She has four terminal diseases. She is so discouraged. She goes, Lord, I don't understand. The doctor says, go home and die. She goes home. Look at tuberculosis, heart disease, breast of both cancer. I mean, cancer of both breasts, three tum uh, tumors in her womb. Says, you, you won't live to the end of the pregnancy. It, it, she's eight months pregnant. You won't make it another month. You will die. She goes home. The angel of the Lord appears to her. Says, woman, I got a little bit written down there. Be of good cheer. You'll live and not die. And the child in your, in your uh, womb is a male. Name him Paul. She's instantly healed. And they had a bunch of papers on this. They, they were challenged. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated the story. There's all kinds of stuff. But all that's, yeah, I don't want to go into that right now, but dramatically healed. Here's the strange thing. She is so healed at 45 years old, she lives 60 more years to 105. When she's 100, she still has, according to Paul, I didn't check it myself, perfect eyesight. All of her organs are healthy. She got so healed at age 45, everything was made new. I'm sure that's exaggerated, but seemingly everything was made new. She didn't have a day of sickness in her life, those 60 years, to the very last year. Something like that. Maybe the year, eight, last 18 months. I might be off on that detail. So paragraph C. Now I'm with Paul Kane now. It's 1987 is when I met him here. They talked about Joel's army and training. It's 88. It's 89. It's 90. Me and Paul and Jack Deere, we're traveling with Wimber. We're having a great time. We're all around the world together. It's, you know, John is moving in signs and wonders. Uh, Paul Kane is prophesying, you know, words of knowledge. Jack Deere, one of the best teachers in the body of Christ. And my role is, they said, Mike, just tell stories. I said, well, I got some verses. No, just tell stories. <laughs> you tell stories. Jack, you're the teacher. John was a great teacher, too. So we're having a great time, and Paul's mom falls ill. So Paul says, well, the Lord has told me through my mom for some years that she has one more word for me. She goes, she's been my number one cheerleader and prophetic, given the prophetic word to me for all these years. 
She's got one more word from me before she dies. And I said, what is it? He goes, she won't say either she doesn't have it or she has it and she won't tell me. I, I can't tell. So she falls ill at 104. Now she's in a coma for two months, right at 104, 105. Paul is so stressed that his mom is in a coma. I mean, he loves his mom dearly, but he wants the word from the Lord to you. So, and John Wimber and Paul Kane are great friends at this time. John Wimber's, there's probably 700 vineyard churches. There's 2,500 vineyard churches today, the number I heard from somebody, all around the world. And so we are, Paul Kane said, John, would you get everyone in the vineyard to pray for my mom? And John's going, I'll try. I mean, it's kind of hard. A lot of people have sick moms, and to have a 105-year-old mom, the one we're praying for. <laughs> and a lot of people need prophetic words, and you're kind of the last guy on the earth who needs a prophetic word. I mean, you're like the prophet. So it was kind of a hard sell to get thousands of people praying for a 105-year-old woman. Like, don't pray for those things. Well, go, I mean, go ahead and pray for them. But make sure you pray for Paul Cain's mom. It was a big, people were arguing about it. They said, this is ridiculous. Others said, we'll do it. So Paul King calls me on the phone, paragraph C, and says, Mike, I'm in, he's in Dallas, I'm in Kansas City, in December, I mean in April. He goes, would you fly tomorrow to be with me? Because my mom's going to die tomorrow. She's been in a coma for two months. I go, how do you know? He goes, well, how do you think I know? <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I go, okay. So I fly to his house. Standing there, I've told the story a few times over the years. I haven't told this story much in 30 years. I, mean, I told it a lot back in the early 90s. And so I'm standing there, and she's, she, there's a medical lady, me, Paul Kane, and Anna Kane, 105, in a coma. She, you know, makes some noise, something, I don't know. Paul leans down. She whispers in his ear. The medical lady's writing something. I'm there, and it seems so intimate. I'm right there, looking, I just look up because I don't want to look down. And I'm staring straight at the digital clock. And she goes, Tuh! something like that. And he dies, and he's sobbing, and I'm looking straight at the clock because I don't want to look down. And it's 418, that's all I remember. And so the medical people come later, some others, and said, what time did she die? I go, I don't know for sure, 418. I was looking at the clock, and I heard the, <laughs> Paul couldn't talk. He sobbed for two or three days. He, couldn't, he didn't care what time she died. But she told him, here's the prophetic word. The Lord is going to release Luke 4.18. In part, Paul, in your life, but in the people that God has connected you with, beloved, that's you and your children. Luke 4.18 is going to be a major promise God's going to release in the people that the Lord has connected to Paul, to Paul and people and others as well. So Paul doesn't even tell me this for some days. Because he's so grieving. He doesn't get up and say, oh, here's the prophetic word. He is so grieving. I don't even tell him what time she dies. I don't think it's significant. So someone later, I think it's a month or two down the road. I can't remember. Some distance down the road. said, well, when did she die? What was the word? I go, she got Luke 418. Everybody was saying it. She goes, what time did she die? I said, it's 418. They said, what day? I go, I don't know, April. April 18th. So she died at... 418 in the afternoon at 418 on the calendar and gave Luke 418. And Paul said she would have a prophetic word 418. But there's a strategic time. God's going to release it on a whole other level of the body of Christ. And I went, oh, my goodness. I mean, who 
picks the minute they die when they come out of coma on the day they die. So 418, everybody was excited for about a year or two, and then it kind of died out. So now we're sitting here, and April 9th, coming to the end of my story here, April 9th, on that Saturday, that Friday morning, Chris Reed comes in and says, when the prince will pass, he'll be 418 at last. What does that mean to you? You know, a little bit of interaction relationally, I went, wait, that's a 30-year-old word that's really important. And, there's, and it's not on the internet, to my knowledge. I mean, it was a word we said back there, pre-internet stuff. I mean, I don't know the, I wouldn't imagine it was. So we're wowed at 418. But it's April 9th. We don't think much about April 9th. So now we have the meeting here that Friday night. Now I'm going to get to the five guys, just one, two, three, rapid fire. And then Dave, you got something. I want you to say it just for a moment, and then we'll just dismiss. So it's April 9th. So Chris comes here that Friday night, EGS, and calls out people. Everybody's excited, and they go home. And so Dave comes to me and goes, hey, you know that Ken Fish guy that knows Chris Reed that you were with at John, John Wimmer's, your, old, your friend from the old days? The vineyard guy, because Ken Fish wrote many of John Wimber's syllabi. John had many, many syllabi when he would teach seminars. Ken Fish wrote them. He's a brilliant theologian, a great teacher, and he's been real faithful to the whole storyline. And Ken is committed to prophetic and intercession, even from those early days, and he stayed with compassion and worship. He stayed with all four of those the 30 years, and I'm aware of that. So he says, you know your friend Ken Fish? I go, yeah. I go, you guys are going to meet him someday. It's, he goes, he was on Eric Metaxas' show this morning. So on April 9th, we're meeting with Chris, when the king will pass, 418 at last. But on the other side of the nation, over in New York, Eric Metaxas, who has millions of people in his downline, he sold over a million books of Bonhoeffer, very uh, kind of high profile to kind of the intellectual intelligentsia type of folks and more, but he's a soul winner. But so he's got this big platform, media platform. He goes, your friend Ken Fish was being interviewed on Eric Metaxas this morning while, while we were talking. I go, no way. And they were talking about John Wimber. I said, well, I just told the Wimber story this morning. So I get home from the EGS. It's 10 o'clock at night, and I check right up, and this is Eric Metaxas. And, and, and I know him about the million-seller Bonhoeffer book, and I know that. I don't know Eric well at all. You know, I've talked to him a time on a Zoom call. We've interacted a little bit, but I don't know him. And he goes, tell me all about John Wimber. But I go, that's odd. That was happening this morning. I go, how interesting. So at the end of, I hear that interview and hear the John Wimber, I thought, the Wimber story is being told on April 9th, the same time that in Kansas City, we're telling the Luke 418 Wimber story. Wow, that's kind of neat. I'm not overly alerted. Then on the YouTube, you know, the next thing it says, Eric Metaxas Interviewed by John Piper on Bonhoeffer and Eric Metactus interviewed by Chuck Swindoll on Martin Luther. I said, oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. I like, I, I like those guys. So I click on one of them and it says, Bonhoeffer dies. Here it is, April 9th, about 11 o'clock at night. He died on April 9th. That was the day that he's memorialized and he is famous around the world because of his faithfulness to stand for Israel. April 9th. So it is April 9th. He died on April 9th. Eric Metaxas was talking about Wimber on that morning. And he's 
He was highlighting the Bonhoeffer book, and he said, you can't imagine the miracle what happened for me to write about Bonhoeffer. And we want to hear that story next Thursday night. He goes, it was that intense. God made me write this story. 600 pages. He goes, it, it took a hold of my life. I know Bonhoeffer. So I look at a little bit more, and it says, Martin Luther, Eric Metaxas, writes the biography, award-winning biography on Bonhoeffer Luther. And they say, Chuck Swindoll says, the most important day in church history was Martin Luther. It was 418, April 18th. So here it is that night, April 9th, April 18th. Here it is, I'm going, Bonhoeffer, Luther, Psalm 2, Isaiah 19, Luke 4. I go, how did Eric Metaxas know to write those two books and for me to stumble in them on April 9th, and one of the dates, Bonhoeffer's April 9th, and the other day, the most important day in church history, many theologians say, was 418, April 18th, actually 500 years ago, this April. And on the Sunday morning, Easter, that Sunday morning, I shared the story. It was 418 Sunday, the 500-year anniversary to the day when Luther took the courageous stand at the risk of his own life. So these two guys, I don't want to get into everything they're about and everything they did. I want to, I am convinced those two lives have a message to us about courage in the Psalm 2, Isaiah 19, but with a Luke 4, 18 context of compassion and, and intimacy and worship together with prophetic and intercession. The whole thing comes together. So I said, Lord, this is amazing. I'm getting it the same morning, April 9th. Andy Bird, our friend Andy Bird for many years, in YWAM, charismatic. Francis Chan, super anti-charismatic for years. He's not anymore. I love Francis. He goes, I think I'm charismatic. I go, you are. Trust me. He goes, oh, my gosh. Those are strange words to me. Just tongue-in-cheek. We're laughing, of course. April 9th. Andy Bird and Francis, they're coming out because Andy's world doesn't like the charismatic IHOP for sure, but not even Andy Bird and YWAM. And they have this video. They said, we want to lay it out there. They called it an unlikely friendship. That was April 9th. So on the West Coast, they're doing that on April 9th. On the East Coast, Metaxas and, and, and Ken Fisher doing uh, uh, Vin Wimber on April 9th. In the middle, we're doing April 9th. April 9th is Bonhoeffer, the day where he celebrated, because that's the day he dies. April 418 is when Luther took the most important stand of his life to change history. And I said, did this poetry is getting, I don't build my life around poetry, but my goodness. So then Andy, Dave, come on up. Andy goes, Andy and Francis, we're coming July 1 to 4, 14. Okay. Chris says, hey, can I come? I, I, I'm free in July, not before that. Okay, sure. Chris Reed says, I, I mean, that's Chris Reed. Then Ken Fish says, hey, when's the next time Chris is in town? I'm going to be there with him, just to stand with him, to love on him like a spiritual father. I go, July. He goes, well, I can't come. I'm with Eric Metaxas. Calls back later. He goes, can Eric come? <laughs> I go, what is happening? All I know for sure is we're having two special weekends in July. I call it the revergence. The revergence. <laughs> so I, I want to make sure that I have the key points right. I suspect I've got the application of this right, but I want to check it with you. We're not doing a Q&A, but I have one question for you. Yeah, and I didn't mean to go so long, but no. 
No, this is good. This is good. <laughs> I wanted to have a Q&A or a robust one. But I have one question. Oh and the question is simple. It's just confirming if I got it. So when I hear this story. Wait, give me the question. I'm nervous. What's the question? I'll get to it. <laughs> when I hear this story, I want to make sure I got this part right. I, when I hear it, I think the Lord set things in motion 100 years ago that really mattered to him pertaining to four banner themes that pertaining to your children that, and grandchildren which is part 2 that my I have a I have 20 year old children and I have a 10 year old child I have 20 year olds and 10 year olds and I, I'm just staring at my friends across this room I'm just staring at so many that I love and care about I'm just I'm thinking about Chandler right there Chandler Ramos just thinking about him and the Lord set things in motion 100 years ago with him in mind that he would step into I'm thinking about David Forlew, he's going to get married soon. The, the Lord set things in motion a hundred years ago that he really cares about and really emphasized. Because Anna Cain, remember, it's early 1920s. So it is a literal, like maybe this year, who knows? He set those things in motion and cares about them a lot with David Forlew and his new wife and his family to come in mind. And so, I'm just so many others in this room. So I'm thinking I'm just there as a dad it's something the Lord said to me years ago before I even understood the story. The Lord said, this isn't about you. This is about your kids. It really is true. It is about our kids. This is right when we first got here. I went, oh, I'm in my late 20s. I'm like, shoot. And so, but now I'm 47. I really get it. It's about my kids. But, but the big question is, what do I do with this? What's the application of what I'm hearing the Lord has something he set in motion 100 years ago with my kids in mind. And as a dad, how do I respond? The Lord really cares about this. It's about my kids, therefore I do what? And I'm thinking that the application point for me as a dad is, number one, I got to get my kids loving Jesus a ton so that they care about this story. And then number two, I got to tell them the story, which means I got to know the story. And so I'm thinking, what does David Forlew do over the next 10 years, and suddenly he looks up and he's got a 10-year-old. He's got to know the story. And we got to do the compassion and worship, prophetic, and intercession, not just believe in it. We have to individually lean into those four banner truths. You said we got to embrace it so we can impart it. Yeah, in our personal life, not just the movement. Well, Mike, you do the prophetic, you do the intercession, you do the, yay, we do it. No, we have to have grace for that. All of us, a little bit of it. As a dad, for my kids, I got to embrace those themes in my own life so that I can impart those themes to my children so they can walk in those themes in the hour that we find ourselves in. Yes. Do I have the application right? Y- yes. And so 100 years ago, the story begins. I mean, the human story related to this place, not just us, but we were Paul Keynes. We were a key assignment to Paul Keynes, not a secondary assignment. I don't want to go into that too much. We were really important to his assignment. And so... Blah, 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 blah. So then 48 years ago, 40-whatever, Bob Jones has the death encounter in 1975. Go back, touch a couple young leaders, because in the wake of this is going to be a whole army of young intercessors. Bob Jones is sitting back from death, what, in 1975? So what's that, 46 years ago? That story begins. Then I come and meet him in 83, so that's 38 years ago. So I'm a Johnny-come-lately compared to those guys. Cairo, Egypt, 1982. Oh, yeah, there you go, yes. The Lord continually set things in motion in very dramatic ways that have global implications 
with my kids and your kids and some of you that are kids in mind. Uh, that's just a huge okay, point. 10 seconds before we finish. Matt Candler, come up and pray for us. And just any one thoughts on your mind. You've always got stuff on this, but f- finish your thought, Dave. I want to give him a full 20 seconds to prepare. And so therefore, it's not about my job title at IHOP. It's not about your job title at IHOP. It's not about your role. It's about the way in which we steward individually the story that God has set in motion and the banner themes that he's set us into as we embrace them and impart them to our families. That's how I'm understanding it. Totally right. And I hope it's not about titles because I don't have one anymore. <laughs> no, because that's people think it's about Mike because they dismiss it according to It's not to my story. Organization and it's not, I don't even have a title anymore. I, in the end of last year, I laid all that down. My point is, it's your story, and I'm a storyteller, and I'm a, I'm a keeper of the story for you. We find our place in the story sometimes without realizing it by our perceived role in the organization, and that's irrelevant The Lord, in one sense, does not care about your role. He didn't bring you here so you'd be a super great administrator in this department. He appreciates that you serve faithfully. But we do need them. No, he he loves that you serve faithfully as an act of love and worship to him. But that's not why he brought you here. There's a bigger story that he brought you here for that isn't limited to your role. We relegate and compare in accidental insecurity based on how we perceive others' role in relationship to ourselves. And that's not relevant. The Lord set something in motion 100 years ago with you in mind and your family. That's relevant. Okay, now I want you to hold that thought because we're going to move on. Because after these guys leave July 1 to 14, we're going to have about five weeks in a row of figuring this thing out. We're going to have like we did those other meetings, you know. <laughs> we're all going to be up here trying to sort it out. I am right and, and I'm thinking of the parking lot emptying and thought and pray. But no, those are, no, but those are really key. I got a feeling July is going to be interesting. Friday nights in July. <laughs> I mean, in the back end of July. <laughs> no, my, the only thought I keep having is some of you are in here thinking, I don't have kids. Am I the kid or is it for my kids? And what's my role? And I think what just keeps striking me is what both Dave and Mike have highlighted. The Lord's inviting us to lean in to this story that he is initiating and we have a real part in. And, and he wants us to lean into this time. I, I just so appreciate the taking the t- I, I'm glad that you took your time and went slower tonight. You got the dates down. You of course, you know this story like the back of your oh, hand. Is, this is so, so critical. It's so critical. Lord, we, let's just stand as we close in prayer here. Lord, we, we just... Wait, say something and then have that prayer. Yeah, 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 just real quick. I just, uh, you know, I don't have any kids. And, uh, and so I just kind of wanted to share just real quickly just in terms of how... I carry my heart in this. I feel like I'm laboring for your children. I mean, they're not my natural children, but as a spiritual father in this, in this spiritual family, they are my children. And so for those of you who don't have kids, I really want to encourage you to ask the Lord to release the heart of the father so that together we, we can be laboring together. You know, I don't have the, the same amount of investment into, in, in Dave's kids as he does, but I care about his kids. I care about the well-being, about the well-being of his kids. I pray for his kids, you know. And I really care about Daniel, just so you know. So anyways, I, anyways, I just kind of want to just share that, that let's link arms together. Let's see the bigger picture. Ask the Lord, the heart of the Father, to touch us and then together to labor for all the children that are a part of this spiritual family and all the other spiritual families that we're interfacing with.
Lord, we, I just keep thinking of what John Chisholm said during that weekend in April about how he affirmed the disruption of these four banner themes and the local and the international disruption and how so much preciousness was unraveled. And with tears in his eyes, he looked at a number of us and he said, it's not gonna unravel again. To which we responded, we're like, why? And he said, the Lord has been patient to braise up over the last decades and generation these values and this story to be owned through multiple generations that he's taken his time. And Lord, we just stand before you. And whether we're familiar or unfamiliar, in a, new, in a newer way with this story, Lord, we ask that you would help us as we seek to be faithful, to not only to embrace and to know the story, but to embody it, to bring it into, imbibe, as Mike said, into our hearts and to transform it and to impart it to others. Lord, we ask that you would keep us steady. And we thank you for what I just think of the last number of decades at the um, uh, frustration that I have felt so many times. Why haven't you broke in? Why haven't you released that which you've promised? And I feel the wisdom of your leadership, Jesus, to take the time to keep these four banner truths in place, to be tested, to be refined, to be valued in the place of perseverance over decades contended for in night and day prayer. Lord, we ask, release grace to embrace the story, to impart it at and in your timing, not only in our own lives, but to receive the other streams and those you seek to move into this storyline as the days, weeks, and months, and years unfold, we ask. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. And I'm going to add the prayer. Lord, you said when the prince will pass, 418 at last, and tonight with a bunch of young people children 418 yes. at last even in this building yes. tonight we speak it in the name of Jesus amen and amen so we gotta if you're gonna stay stay but if you're gonna go go because the folks coming need this parking spots but I hope you stay it's gonna be a neat I think tonight's a 418 night I really